Welcome to the 71st episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today, we are here to preview UFC 276. We have two title fights on the top of this card. We have a stacked main card, and we have some really, really good fights on the prelims. We are going to talk about every single one of those, and those are the only things that we're going to discuss today. So, um, let's get right into it. Um, Starting off, first and foremost, we have the middleweight championship between Israel Adesanya and Jared Cannonier. Now, um, before I go any further, I did recently do a film study on Israel Adesanya. So if you are interested in that, I will put the description or I will put the link in the description on YouTube. So if you want to go check that out, you can and make sure you leave a like on that video. Now, um, for this fight, I I really lean heavily towards Israel Adesanya, and that's probably not really a surprise for most people because he is a a heavy favorite in this fight. But when I look at Israel Adesanya, Israel Adesanya is so good at a distance. If you get into a pure kickboxing bout with Israel Adesanya, you're going to lose... 99 times out of 100. And if you get into the pocket and, you know, start exchanging heavy shots in the pocket, you are probably going to lose that 99 times out of 100 because he is so good at slipping shots in the pocket and returning with his own shots. And he's really a tough guy to beat if you are unable to incorporate any form of wrestling or clinch work. Now, he has also shown some very good improvements in terms of getting up off bottom, defending takedowns, and doing all those things. And he wasn't necessarily bad ever. Um, That's always a concern for a kickboxer coming to the UFC, but he was never really bad in those areas. And You know, all he's really done is just continue to improve in those areas. And now it's even harder to go out there and get a takedown. And when he is taken down, he does a very good job of getting back up. And there are a couple flaws here. You know, he he got his back taken by Vittori and Whitaker. But aside from those couple instances, he's really done a good job getting up. So... Um, there are a handful of things that I think Jared Cannonier can do in this fight to possibly throw Izzy off of his game. The first is going to be get in the clinch. Um, and then getting in the clinch, we see we see a lot of people get in the clinch on Israel, and we don't see a lot of strikes in return or strikes when they're coming out of clinch scenarios. So... I think if Jared Cannonier can get in the clinch, get into some Muay Thai clinch scenarios, get him pinned up against the fence a couple times, and instead of looking for a takedown, look for big strikes when you're disengaging, look for some knees, look for some elbows. I think those are some good ways to counter what Adesanya does well offensively, or excuse me, what he does well defensively, because he is so good at moving the head. He's a very hard guy to hit in the head if you are just going out there and getting in a pure striking bout. 
So I think going out there and getting in the clinch and looking to throw elbows to the head and, and knees to the body, I think those are some very good things that you can do that can kind of turn this fight into your in your favor a little bit. I think another thing you have to do is, you know, check the leg kicks. It's certainly not easy. Israel Adesanya is one of the best in the world at throwing those leg kicks. And he does a really good job of placing those. They're not always right on the calf. A lot of times you see those leg kicks from Adesanya, they land about six inches above or below the side of the knee. And he's really taking out your leg and he does so very efficiently. So I think that's another thing. Obviously, nothing too groundbreaking there. Everyone knows you have to go out there and, and check the leg kicks and defend against the leg kicks well. But one thing that I, that I haven't really seen talked about is is body shots. Like I said earlier, I did a film study on, on Israel Adesanya, and I really think that the body shots that Jan Blachowicz threw really helped him win that fight. If you look at the amount of body shots that Jan threw in comparison to Whitaker and Vittori in their rematches, Jan threw more than both of them combined. Um, and he also had more control time on the ground than both of those guys. And those were significant strikes to the body, by the way. Those weren't your, I've got him on the ground and I'm throwing like, you know, short little ground and pound shots to the body. No, those were significant strikes to the body. So, um... The things that Jan was doing was when Izzy, he would start combinations with a jab and then when Izzy went to move that head because he has such good head movement, when Izzy would go to move that head, he would catch him, you know, attacking to the body on that second strike. And when he threw in combinations, he was throwing combinations to the body. And when Izzy was moving far backwards, you know, Izzy, Izzy is very good at moving backwards and staying out of the way of strikes. Uh, we saw Robert Whitaker really try and counter that backwards movement by, you know, sitting down on, on a couple overhands and, and trying to land big, but we saw Jan Blachowicz invest in the body instead. Um, for Jared Cannonier, I think he should probably actually try and mix both of those because Jared Cannonier has so much power. If you can catch Izzy really going backwards and you can throw an overhand and time that upright, I think that would be a beneficial thing to do, obviously. Um, but if, if you've thrown four or five of those and they're not landing, um, I think then you need to turn to the body kicks instead, which was something that, um, I think that was something that Jan Blachowicz did really well. Sorry, I just blanked out for a second. Um, and then, um, the last thing, obviously, if Jared Cannonier can go out there and get a takedown, I know wrestling isn't necessarily his forte, but if he, if he can go out there and get a takedown, I think, um, that'd really help him in this fight, even if it's just to wear on Adesanya a little bit, um, I think it would be beneficial. And one of the things that I didn't really mention with Adesanya was Adesanya has insane cardio. Um, after rewatching his you know, last three fights, I have really been impressed with his cardio, and I don't think those were things that I recognized watching live. Um, but going into the fifth round of his last three fights, even the fight against Jan, he was the fresher fighter going into round five. Um, obviously, he, he was taken down, but he was the fresher fighter going into round five, and he was barely breathing hard at all. So I think that's another thing where, you know, 
you have to get to Izzy early because round one Izzy and round five Izzy aren't really that different of a fighter. Get to him early, and if you don't get to him early, you're going to have a hard time winning, you know, three of the last four to go out there and get a decision. So you really should go out there and try and win that first round because that's when you're at your freshest and Izzy's going to be the same, whether it's the first round or the fifth round. So I think those are some things to consider as well. Now, when it comes to specifically looking at Jared Cannonier and asking, can he do those things? Um, I think the most likely thing that Jared Cannonier can do is get in the clinch and, and try and throw some big shots from there. Um, he, 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 he's not really big on attacking to the body, and he's not going to outpace Israel. So I think that that clinch work might be the, his, his best route to victory, um, but I'm not necessarily sure that um, I'm not necessarily sure he has the tools to go out there and beat Israel. At least if he does, those are things that I haven't really seen in some previous fights. That, like I said, that doesn't mean he doesn't have them. But I have a hard time predicting something that someone has not shown. So. Um, with that being said, if Jared Cannonier can't go out there and land a couple of really big shots um, in, in some exchanges and catch Izzy, I really have a hard time seeing his path to victory. Um, so I'm going to take Israel Adesanya in this fight like I alluded to earlier, but um, I will go decision. I don't think that Izzy is going to do enough to get Jared Cannonier out of there, but I think he will consistently be outstriking him round to round and you know, get out of there with a 50-45 or a 49-46 type of performance where he really shuts Cannonier down, but is just unable to get a stoppage. But afterwards, everyone's going to go, oh, wow, that was a great performance by Izzy. So that's kind of the type of fight that I am predicting. Now, um, Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway in the co-main event. This fight is another championship fight and this one's at featherweight and it is a trilogy between these two these two are two of the four featherweight champions in the history of the sport these two are two of the best featherweights of all time and their first two decisions have been razor close um i don't really care if you scored the second fight for max holloway um i personally did if you did, um, I agree with you. If you didn't, I'm not going to argue with you because that is a very close fight. But if you look at the official, you know, the official results, Alexander Volkanovsky has two wins against Max Holloway. And Max Holloway has a lot riding on this third fight. If Max Holloway is unable to win this fight, he, you know, probably will never get a title shot in the featherweight division again as long as Alexander Volkanovsky is the champion. And then... You know, it, it comes down to, is Volkanovski going to be the champion for a long time if he beats Max Holloway on Saturday? Probably. Um, I mean, these two have proven that they are the two best featherweights in the world right now. Um, there are a lot of good up-and-comers at 145, but right now, looking at that top five and that top ten, they have each dismantled some of the best members uh, of the division. And... In terms of this fight, I, I'm i really split here. Um, I think this fight is going to be razor close. 
if you want me to give you my official scorecard, it will probably be 48-47 in one of these guys' favors. Someone's going to win three rounds, the other guy's going to win two. It is going to be very, very close. I have a hard time thinking that either guy gets a finish here. Um, the durability of Max Holloway. Um, he hasn't been finished before. Knock on wood. And um, Max Holloway landed some really big shots in the last couple fights. And he was unable to finish Alexander Volkanovsky. So I think if he didn't finish him in those sequences in the second fight, I don't think he gets it done in the third fight in terms of a finish. Once again, to keep it fair, we will also knock on wood. I am very superstitious. Now, um, for, for this fight particularly, like I said, I think it's going to be very close. And I don't really have much for an X's and O's here. Um, I, um, in terms of the X's and O's, it's going to come down to who has the better game plan. You know, I can't really sit here and go, oh, Max Holloway has a good jab, or he's going to use some, some spinning kicks to go out there and do this, or, you know, the clinch work here. I, I don't really see a lot of those situations, you know. I think it's going to be very close, and I think the two biggest factors here are going to be the leg kicks of Alexander Volkanovsky and the and the wrestling of Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, I when I look at those two factors, Alexander Volkanovsky does a really good job kicking the leg, and everyone knows that. He is one of the best at kicking the leg, and he has done so very well against Max Holloway. That was a big tool in that first fight. And then when you're looking at Max's last fight against Yair, Yair excuse me, he really struggled against those leg kicks. And I, I just think that that is going to be one area that Volkanovski can use to turn the tide in his favor and do that early. Um, we may see a situation where Volkanovski says, okay, I'm really going to sit down and focus on these leg kicks for one round. Volkanovski may decide, hey, I'll drop this first round, but I'm going to land 15 leg kicks doing it. And then in that second round, Max Holloway is going to have his movement, you know, stifled, and he's not going to be as good and as quick getting in and out, which will help Volkanovski because he is at a size disadvantage here in terms of, you know, he's... He's, he's got bigger muscles, he's more broad, but in terms of length and, and height, Volkanovski is the shorter fighter. So, you know, that will help Volkanovski enter in the pocket without, you know, getting countered. It will help Volkanovski in a lot of those entries. And I think that will close, you know, the very small gap in terms of striking from a distance. And I think that will help Volkanovski land a lot more. So I think that is one very, very likely outcome that we see. And I think Volkanovski will incorporate wrestling. I'm not sure that he does so early in rounds, but I think if we're four minutes into a round and we're going, oh my God, who won this round? You know, it gets to that point in the round where you're like, man, this has been back and forth. I have no clue who won this round. I think in those moments, we are going to see Alexander Volkanovski shoot for a takedown. And if he can get those takedowns in those scenarios, you have a round that is 50-50, that can go either way on the judges scorecards to that last takedown, you know, and, and a couple of seconds of ground control and a couple of ground and pound shots, 
makes it a lot more clear of it being an Alexander Volkanovsky round. So I think those are the two factors that we are going to see that really um, swing this fight in Volkanovsky's favor. And another thing is Volkanovsky also has really good cardio himself, so that will make it harder for Holloway to go out there and weaponize his cardio and put on such a massive pace like he usually does. So I think that is the, the I think that is the number one thing that um, or I think that is another thing, excuse me, that will really be going in Volkanovsky's favor is his cardio, while not better than Max's, will help stifle Max being able to use his cardio as a weapon. Um, and I think for Max Holloway, if he wants to go out there and, and realize a win in this third trilogy, I, I think the difference makers would be body shots. Um, Max Holloway is very good at digging to the body. I think if he can dig on the body um, and, and maybe try and slow Volkanovski down a little bit and take a chink out of that cardio, I think that would be one good offensive thing he can do. I think if he can mix in some elbows in, in some inside areas, I think that would be another good thing. If he can land a couple of, you know, spinning um, kicks to the body, I think those are a couple of other good things that he can do. So, um, like I said, I think this is very close. But when I look at these small differentiating factors, I, I think all of those lean in Volkanovski's favor. So I will take Volkanovski by decision in this one. Now, moving down on the card, we have Sean Strickland and Alex Pereira, and I am recording this after the press conference, and after that press conference that we saw, I'm very confident in saying that this will be a number one contender's bout. Now, um, in terms of who wins this fight and, and what their game plans will be, I think Sean Strickland is really going to come out here and he's going to try and get in a pure boxing match. He may try and... He's probably going to try and cut off those kicks uh, of Pereira by getting in really close. If you get in really close on a kicker, um, crowd, crowd. The, if he can crowd the kicker, um, I couldn't think of the actual term, so I was stalling there for a second. But if Sean Strickland is able to crowd the kicker and get inside and, and land some good jabs and some good straights, I think that is his best, best path to victory. I think, well, in all honesty, his best path to victory is probably going out there and landing some takedowns and possibly submitting Pereira, but I'm not necessarily sure that he's even going to try that game plan, so I'm not even going to discuss it. Now, um, the thing about Sean Strickland is he will take some shots to land some shots, and I think that is a very dangerous proposition here against Alex Pereira, who's someone who has a really good check hook, who is someone who can counter you, someone that can move forward, someone that can land big shots. Um, ultimately, I think the UFC wants to see Alex Pereira versus Israel Adesanya, and I think they want to see that in the UFC octagon, and I think they found an opponent in Sean Strickland who, from a matchup standpoint, is a very, very, you know, I don't want to say easy matchup, because he's not, but I think if you're trying to matchmake for Pereira and go, okay, who can he beat in the top 10? and go out there and we can justify giving him a title shot, I think Sean Strickland is the guy. You know, I think Whitaker and Vittoria would both be able to go out there and take him down. I think someone like Darren Till, even though he has not looked good in his last couple fights, if he's in a pure kickboxing bout, um, he would have a better chance 
at just going out there and, and striking with Pereira than someone like Sean Strickland. Um, if, if you want to go further, a little bit further down, Uriah Hall, that's someone that Pereira matches up well against. However, that probably doesn't get you a title shot. If you want to go up a little bit more, Hermanson's probably able to take him down. Um, Paulo Costa, you know, they've already got him booked. He may have been a good matchup, but um, that's also very risky. So I think ultimately the UFC found someone who they think Pereira can beat. And um, I, I agree. I think Pereira wins this one by knockout in round two. But I would not be all surprised if Sean Strickland is really able to crowd Pereira and get him a little bit uncomfortable if he can stay in his face for three rounds, he may be able to get a decision win. But in terms of, you know, most likely outcome, I think the most likely outcome is Pereira, and, I, and I'll go with round two on that. Now, Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barberena. Um, this one's going to be a very close war as well. I, I see a lot of these fights on this man card being very close, if you can't tell. But Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barberena is going to be a very close fight. And they're both coming off wins against legends. Barbarina's got a win over Matt Brown. Robbie Lawler just got a win over Nick Diaz. And when we are looking at what exactly is going to take place in this fight, I think these two stand in trade. I think it's going to be as simple as that. And I'm going to pick Robbie Lawler. I think Robbie Lawler has a couple of extra tools. I think um, I, I really liked how he looked against Nick Diaz. Well, Nick Diaz didn't look great. Um, I'm not going to punish Robbie Lawler for that because I saw some things from Robbie Lawler that I really liked. And if I think this fight is going to be a war, I have a hard time picking against Robbie Lawler based off the things that he has done in this sport before. I've never seen Robbie Lawler quit in a war, you know, so I, I, I'm going to lean with Robbie Lawler in this one, and I'll take Robbie Lawler by decision. Now, possibly the most hype non-title fight is Sean O'Malley versus Pedro Munhos. And when we're looking at Sean O'Malley versus Pedro Munhos, I think this is a very similar scenario to Alex Pereira versus Sean Strickland, where Sean O'Malley is, you know, looking to get his first top 10 win. And if you're looking at those rankings at 135 pounds, ask yourself, who is the easiest matchup for Sean O'Malley? You may land on Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz is a very, very good fighter. However, when you look at his flaws, he has some holes in his striking defense. Um, he's very good at kicking the leg, which is his number one positive in this one. But he's also a little bit slower, and he's a little bit shorter in, in that division. And he isn't a massive grappler. He isn't a massive wrestler. So I think this will likely be a striking contest, um, unless Pedro gets real uncomfortable and starts panic wrestling or something like that. But Pedro's bread and butter is now the grappling. And for Sean O'Malley, when you're looking at those weaknesses... I think the, if a fighter is longer and quicker on the feet, and their opponent shows some has their opponent has you know been hit before, I, I really have a hard time picking against Sean O'Malley here. Um, I I don't think Sean O'Malley gets a finish because I really really like Pedro Munoz's durability. I think Pedro Munoz is one tough dude. Pedro Munoz doesn't really get finished. Pedro Munoz is a tough man. So ultimately, I think Sean O'Malley is going to go out there and he's going to very easily land on Pedro. So I think he lands a lot of shots, a lot of big shots, but I don't see him I don't see him being able to get Pedro out of there. And that's not a knock on Sean. That is a credit to Pedro and his toughness. 
And as far as as far as the leg kicks go, I've seen a lot of people talking about leg kicks and Sean O'Malley. You know, that's his biggest weakness per se. But ultimately, Sean O'Malley got kicked in the legs a couple times by Cheeto Vera. Um, but I'm not going to go. Oh well, he's a bum because you know he got hit with a, a perfect leg kick that made that leg go numb. No, if if someone were to land, you know, one massive shot that were to knock somebody out, I don't think for the rest of their career we go, oh, well, you know, all you have to do is, you know, for example, Izzy got hit by that hook with Alex Pereira. If we were to say for the next, you know, 20 fights uh, or his 20 fight pro career in MMA, if we were to just say, well, throw a counter hook and you got him, uh, he can't defend a counter hook, you know. That, that, that's really just a lazy um, view of, of someone's skill set. And even in this one, you know, Pedro Munoz isn't going to be able to kick that leg as well as someone like Cheeto Vera. Well, Pedro Munoz may have better leg kicks than Cheeto. I'm not going to get into that discussion, kind of comparing two fighters who are in very different stages of their careers. But with that being said, Cheeto is a little bit longer, right? So he will have an easier, or he will have an easier time landing some of those leg kicks on someone as big and long as Sean O'Malley. Pedro Munoz really has to get in a lot closer to land some of those leg kicks. So I think that even for him to get inside to land a leg kick, he's got to fight through some jabs and he'd have to fight through some straight shots. So I don't think the leg kicks are going to be as big of a factor as many people anticipate. Now, that is all the fights on the main card, and like I said, we're going to go through all these fights, so let's get down to the headliner of the prelims, Brandon Riddell versus Jalen Turner. And first and foremost, if you don't know who Jalen Turner is, you are missing out on a good time. Jalen Turner is a lightweight that looks like a welterweight, and if he fought at middleweight, I think a lot of people would go, oh, he's, you know, he's kind of undersized, but whatever. So Jalen Turner is an absolutely massive, massive lightweight. He does a really good job of utilizing his distance to land big shots and stay on the outside. And when he does get inside, he has a really underrated game in the pocket. A lot of guys who are his size really struggle on the inside because they're just so long. They, you know, it takes them longer to get to point A to point B in the pocket and they have some issues on the inside. Jalen Turner doesn't really have a lot of those same issues. Brad Riddell, on the other hand, is someone who excels in the pocket. He's also a world-class striker. Um, if you were to have me pick who's the fight of the night in this one, I, I pick Brad Riddell and Jalen Turner. I think this fight is the fight of the night. I think this is going to be a war. I think these two go to war for three rounds. I'm not sure that either guy gets a finish. I wouldn't be, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if either guy gets a finish, I should say. I could envision Turner finishing Riddell, and I could envision the opposite of that. Um, but ultimately, I think we're going to see a lot of big shots land, and I think these guys fight and fight hard for three rounds. And um, I just really like the size of Turner, so I'm going to lean Jalen Turner in this one by decision. I think he's going to utilize his size to his advantage in this one, and I think he uses that to help him get a decision victory. Moving down, we have Donald Cerrone versus Jim Miller. And this one, I'm I, I'm not really excited to see this fight. And these two are, if you don't know, they're fighting to be 
the wins leader in UFC history. And there are just some things on Cerrone's side of this that I don't like. Cerrone hadn't cut 255 pounds in years. I think his last time was 2019. Then he comes out against Joe Lozon, cuts to 155, gets food poisoning after. Comes back a month and a half later, cuts to 155, and he is not able to fight because Joe Lozon can't make the walk because his knee locks up. Fine, no harm, no foul. Um, Now, two weeks later, we are fighting again. I know this fight is at 170, but the weight cuts scare me. And um, Cerrone's most recent performances scare me. So in this one, it's it's less about the X's and O's and more about what is happening outside of the cage and everything that's happening outside of the cage. And basing it even off their most recent performances, just looking at a surface level, um, Miller has put up more of a fight in those fights. So I'm going to go with Jim Miller here. I could honestly see him getting done, getting it done by KO, by decision, and even by submission. Even though Jim Miller is a great submission artist, um, I think Cerrone's submission defense will hold up in this one. So I think a more likely outcome is is that the chin of Cerrone is gone and that Jim Miller lands a knockout, or Cerrone and Miller, you know, go out there and, and fight to a decision. And even in that scenario, I think Miller comes out on top. But um, with that being said, in terms of a prediction, I will go Jim Miller by knockout. Now, Ian Gary versus Gabe Green. Ian Gary is, you know, a lot of people consider him an elite prospect, and I think he's a very, very good prospect, but he has a couple of flaws in his game. I think he gets hit a little bit too much. That's probably my biggest thing. I don't like seeing that. Um, but with that being said, outside of that, he is a really good striker. He has really good counter striking. He's a very accurate striker. He has some power. Um, he has a good um, grappling background. He has a lot of the things that I like, and he's very well-rounded. I just think he gets hit a little bit too much. And when I'm evaluating this fight, um, I think that someone eventually will be able to beat Ian Gary, but I'm just not sure that Gabe Green is the guy. Gabe Green, Gabe Green is a very tough fighter with a great chin, um, but I, I, I just have a hard time imagining him doing anything significant to Ian Gary. I think Ian Gary will do a very good job staying on the outside, landing some counter punches, and if it, did, if it does get in close, he does have the grappling background to find success in those scenarios as well. So, well, I'm not as high on Ian Gary as a lot of other people. I am going to pick Ian Gary in this one, and I will go Ian Gary by, we'll go third round knockout. Now, Brad Tavares versus Driscus Duplice is the next fight on this card. And this fight is a very good fight. This is Driscus Duplice attempting to get in these rankings. He's currently 16-2, and two, and he's taking on the guy who gatekeeps the rankings. Um, in this one, Driscus Duplice really has a lot of power. He's a very powerful striker. He's a little bit awkward with his strikes, but he's a very powerful striker. Brad Tavares is pretty well-rounded. He's not anything special, though. And in this one, I'm going to lean Driscus Duplice. I'm going to lean Driscus Duplice by knockout. Well, I like Brad Tavares. I'm just not, you know, uh, in these, in these, you know, prospect coming up to take on Gatekeeper, I usually lean towards the prospect. So I'm going to continue that trend here. Now, 
Let's move on to one of my favorite fights on this card, Uriah Hall versus Andre Muniz. You, you probably know both of these fighters. Uriah Hall is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous striker. Has one of the best striking highlight reels in UFC history. Andre Muniz, one of the best grapplers in this division. So whether you like striking or whether you like grappling, there's something in this one that you will like. And um, for this, I'm going to go with Muniz. Um, my biggest critique of Uriah Hall is that he's not active enough. And I think that activity will really haunt him in this one. And my thought process on that is that he, if he's not active enough right off the start, I think Muniz will be able to land a takedown. And once Muniz gets that takedown, it's really a matter of time before you get submitted. Um, even Uriah Hall has had troubles in the past. He got his back taken by... Um, what is his name? He got his back taken and he had his back controlled for a whole round in a fight. Um, if you let Andre Muniz do that to you, you're getting choked out. Who took his back for the whole round? Let me see here. Um, Antonio Carlos Jr. Antonio Carlos Jr. took his back for an entire round. He still won that fight. Um, but those are things I don't like to see when you're getting ready to fight a grappler. Um, on the level of Muniz. So I think Muniz gets a takedown, and I think Muniz is, um, I, I think Muniz gets that submission. Now, these last two fights, we have two female fights, one at flyweight, one at bantamweight, and the first of the two is Macy Barber versus Jessica I. Jessica I is a former title contender, while Macy Barber is an up-and-coming prospect. And this one is you have a someone with heavy hands and Macy Barber going up against someone who's you know gonna try and outstrike you with volume in Jessica I. And this one is going to be another you know one where I lean towards the younger fighter. I see Jessica I is getting up there in age. I believe she is 35. Let me double check. Jessica I is 35. And Macy Barber is 25, if I am correct. Macy Barber is 24. And based off previous performances, I think Jessica I is regressing while Macy Barber is getting better. So I think this is a scenario where even if I haven't seen the things from Macy Barber in the past that I want to see to see her win, I've seen her get better. So in this one, I'm projecting that Macy Barber gets a little bit better than she was in her last fight, and I'm projecting that Jessica I takes a slight step back from where she was in her last fight, and I think if that happens, I think Macy Barber will be able to get the win. Now, um, Jessica Rose Clark and Juliet Stolarenko. Um, this is one of the few fights on this card where, you know, people are going to look at and go, oh, who are these people? <laughs> um, you know, most of this card is very, is a lot of people with some very, that are very well known. Um, Jessica Rose Clark and Julia Stolarenko are not. Um, Jessica Rose Clark is a good offensive grappler. She'll get takedowns and try and ride those to a decision victory. And if she can find a submission or, or try and find some opportunistic ground to pound, she will. Um, but her biggest part of her game is control. Um, Stolarenko, big on the arm bar. Let's see how many she had in a row. Okay. Starting in 2019, she had one, two, three in a row, Dr. Stoppage, armbar. So she's got, and then she went on a three-fight losing streak, but she has a very good armbar. I think this is going to come down to 
Jessica Rose Clark is going to go out there and get takedowns. And I think that Solarenko is going to attack submissions from the bottom. Um, I think if, if Jessica Rose Clark can fight off those submissions for three rounds, she gets a decision victory. If she gets caught in an arm bar or, or in a scramble and gets submitted, she loses, obviously. So I think this is going to be a scenario where we see one fighter on top um, not really doing much. Will the fighter on bottom attack submissions? I kind of just repeated exactly what I just said. In those scenarios, um, I haven't always been like this, but as of recently, I've started to say, I'm just going to pick the fighter that, that gets on top, and if they get submitted, oh, oh well. So I'm going to go with Jessica Rose Clark here. I think it's a lot less risky to pick the fighter that um, I think is going to have more control time. I think she's going to be more likely to win a decision than Stolarenko. So I think that is the smarter pick, but if you think Stolarenko is going to win, by submission, um, I think that's also a very good prediction. So that is the preview for UFC 276. Like I said, if you would like, go watch that film study that I did on Israel Adesanya. I, I think it is a good look into his um, into his fights and how he fights, and. Um, I, I I really would like it if you watched that and left a like on that video. I would appreciate that. But most importantly, thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO Podcast. Goodbye.